0: The words of the prophet Jeremiah are hard to hear, but get ready for him. We've been listening to this prophet for four weeks now, and we've got several more weeks of this to go. Compared to other biblical prophets, Jeremiah is hard to listen to because he's not all that great a Hebrew poet. His images are pretty typical. Invading armies are like lions. Lying tongues are like weapons. Betraying God is like drifting away from a straight path. A chunk of verses from Jeremiah chapter six get recycled in Jeremiah chapter eight. The prophet lifts phrases from other biblical books, and so on. Also compared to other biblical prophets, Jeremiah isn't such a pleasure to listen to because he offers only the occasional outcry for social justice that we Episcopalians enjoy so much. (laughs) The prophets two centuries before him used their prophetic voices for the oppressed. Amos directed God's anger at those who trample the needy and who cheat at business at the expense of human beings. Don't be misled by our translation today or next week, which speak of God's poor people. That's an English translation of a term of pity in the original, the daughter of my people. There's no reference at all to poverty here. Instead of championing the poor, Jeremiah is convinced that the main reason for God's punishing anger is that people are worshiping the wrong gods in the wrong places. To make matters worse, in Jeremiah there's no big, beautiful, hopeful vision. Later, prophets dreamed of and then witnessed their people's return from deportation to Babylon. They spoke the words, comfort, comfort, oh, my people. They invited people to a banquet of free food, wine, and milk. They described mountains and hills singing and trees clapping their hands to see people receive God's mercy. Instead of giving his people a hopeful vision of God's mercy and their future, Jeremiah's most consistent message is that destruction is inevitable. Jeremiah prophesied for several decades in the southern kingdom of Judah, from late in the seventh century BCE to early in the sixth, when Babylonians did exactly what Jeremiah had said they'd do all along, invade Judah, and deport its people. A century or so earlier, Assyrians had invaded the larger northern kingdom of Israel and deported those who lived there. From Jeremiah's point of view, it was only a matter of time before Judah faced a similar fate. There were other prophets in Jeremiah's day who clung to hope. They envisioned the 10 tribes of Israel returning to the north and rejoining the south. When the Babylonians came, after all, other prophets predicted that people would be home from their exile in two years tops. Jeremiah, not so much. His message mostly focused on warning people that disaster was inevitable, and as for that exile, they'd better settle in and try to get comfortable, because it was going to be a while. Jeremiah's lack of concern for poetry, for justice, and for hope must have made him hard to listen to. But if Jeremiah was hard to listen to more than two millennia and a half ago, still other things make him truly painful to hear today. Jeremiah never seems to tire of describing God's people as promiscuous or worse in worshiping other divinities. Jeremiah lavishes shame and blame on the people he describes with sexist slurs. Jeremiah also subscribes to a theology that sees all catastrophes as direct punishments from God. Jeremiah could only explain natural disasters and hostile military takeovers as consequences for something God's people have done wrong. But the horrors of the 20th century, in particular, have caused many of us to stop seeing deportation and genocide. As the punishing hand of God. So, how can we hear Jeremiah today? In today's small excerpt from a man who prophesied for decades, Jeremiah describes a hot wind coming at us from the Lord. He warns us that this wind won't help us to winnow or sift grain. In other words, this wind won't be gentle enough to delicately separate wheat from chaff or good people from bad. Instead, this wind will parch everything in its path. Productive agricultural land will become a desert, and cities will be ruined before the Lord's fierce anger or blazing wrath. I thought of this wind when I read what many people considered a hopeless magazine article this week about climate change. Something like Jeremiah, the author Jonathan Franzen predicts that many of us will live to see the climate change keep on bringing us. Massive crop failures, apocalyptic fires, imploding economies, epic flooding, and hundreds of millions of refugees fleeing regions made uninhabitable. Franzen's message clashes with what he calls others' expressions of unrealistic hope. He does make an ethical case for doing what we can, large or small, to diminish the human contribution to the changing climate. But he also invites us to consider what other things we do If we learn to accept climate change and its consequences as disasters, it's too late to prevent. Jeremiah's own words today describe the unmaking of all creation. Jeremiah sees God essentially dismantling the work described in Genesis piece by piece. Instead of God making the world out of the waste and void, Jeremiah sees the earth revert to waste and void. Instead of God placing lights in the heavens, Jeremiah sees no light in the heavens. Instead of God making dry land appear, Jeremiah sees mountains and hills breaking apart. And instead of God forming humankind and filling the sky with birds in Genesis, Jeremiah sees no human life and a birdless sky. The disasters that people of faith face always seem to spell the end of all creation. After such disasters come to pass, those who were sure they'd happen sure look like prophets in hindsight, even if they were hard to listen to at the time. In the face of the changing climate that, Francis sees as unpreventable, He invites us not into all-out war on climate change, but into building humane and kind communities, the kind of institutions, big or small, that can extend mercy and welcome to those who will suffer most. For him, functioning democracies, functioning legal systems, and functioning communities are our best chance at resilience in what lies ahead. In the face of what Jeremiah sees as a foreign empire executing God's wrath and driving his people from Judah, he invites people to inscribe their faith and responsiveness to God in their hearts. And he encourages them to settle, to build houses, to plant gardens, to raise families, even in their exile. In the face of hopelessness, we do well to do much of the same, to make homes and plant gardens, to nurture a family or a neighborhood, a city, and a church that can extend God's mercy and welcome. Jeremiah may be hard to listen to, especially today. But somewhere in there is something we need to hear.